The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Outlander Business, the two-seater commercial SUV with over 2,000 litres of cargo space, two-ton towing capacity and legendary four-wheel drive technology. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, the week on The Right Hook here at Newstalk is coming to an end with me, George Hook, and we've got some of the outstanding items of today's show that you can listen to just in case you miss them. I'm joined now by the Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Conor Pope, because tomorrow a monster rally is expected to take place at Marion Square. 6,000 motor cars cribbing away about insurance. Conor Pope, say it isn't so. I'm afraid it is, George. No, but hold a while now. How do you know there's going to be 6,000 cars? Well, actually, it's being, it's being organised by a Kerry travel agent called Kean Griffin, and his group has been, is called Ireland Underground. And they've been campaigning and, and, and highlighting the, frankly, criminal rise in car insurance premiums over the last two or three years that is having an incredibly, incredibly negative impact on people's personal wealth. Um, and they've organised this rally, and it's, it's got a lot of traction uh, across okay. multiple platforms. And that's the estimate they're putting on it. So they're saying 6,000 cars, there might be three or four people in each car, which means you could have up to 15,000, 20,000 people protesting at car insurance premiums tomorrow in Dublin. Right. Like, I'm surprised that you, so normally so calm and reasoned and everything, using words like the criminal increasing well, car insurance premiums. It's shocking, George. It's Why? Like, you're what looking, do you mean? You're, you're looking at price increases, premium price increases of around 70% for an awful lot of people. Now, that, and, and I've had correspondence from readers of the Irish Times who've, co- who've contacted me saying that last year or in 2014, their premiums were maybe 350 or 400 euros, and now they're being asked to pay well in excess of 1,000 euros for their premiums. And this is through absolutely no fault of their own. They still have a blemish-free record. There's been no claims on their policies. So they're looking at these letters that are coming in from their insurance, insurance companies, and they're going, what the hell is going All on right. here? And the terrible thing here is one of the big... Um, mantras that I've been trotting out on your program for a very long time and the one that you're almost sick to death of me hearing is you need to shop around. And shopping around is something that people can normally do to save money. But what people are finding is they're going from car insurance, car insurance company A to car insurance company B to C to D and they're getting, broadly speaking, the same premium quotes okay. from each of them. And it just right. frankly isn't right. Well, hold a while now. I didn't bring you on here just so that you could vent and have a crib on the radio. Like, if you want to have a crib, get on to Joe Duffy. Okay. You're right. I I need some facts oh, from right, you okay. here. There, the insurance, when I was a lad working in insurance, I'd remind you, and I passed the exams and everything, um, is based on the fact that you, you, the premiums pay the claims. So therefore, if you have a lot of claims, you have to increase the premium in order to meet the claims. If you have less claims, you reduce the premium because you don't need as much money to pay the claims. So the assumption is... Premiums are going up because claims are going up. Ah, uh, bless your innocence, George. Hey, we are watching now. You never <laughs> passed an insurance exam know, in your life. Funnily enough, my dad worked in, in, in motor insurance and he passed right. all the exams. So I grew up in a world that was very familiar right. with that. And in a, in, in, in a way, you're right. It, it's all fairly actuarially based. And it's based on, you know, they, they, money comes in, money goes out, and they do the books. But the problem is that up until the beginning of 2014... 
Irish motorists were the beneficiaries of a price war between all the leading providers in Ireland. Now, increased competition over the previous decade had meant that prices had tumbled as companies like Royal Sun Alliance, which is where my dad worked, and upstarts like Satanta Insurance fought hard for market share. Now, that that was arguably good news. But as you very rightly point out, car insurance is a numbers game. And a couple of years ago, in 2014, it emerged that the numbers just didn't add up for many of the companies. They were taking in less and they were paying out in premiums. And in effect, they were putting their very futures at risk. And Satanta Insurance went out of business and... Royal Sun Alliance lost a ton of money. And Royal Sun Alliance lost a ton of money because they were trying to compete with this upstart. Uh, That meant when Satanto went out of business, the price war ended, premiums started to climb, but then uh, the the courts put the cost of Satanto going out of business onto um, the other insurers. So they had to pick up the tab. Okay, but uh, hold a while now. Let's take the Satanto thing for a minute. Yeah. Uh, you're too young to remember the PMPA. The PMPA went out of business and a levy was put on every insurance policy in the country. Then uh, your man up in Cavan went out of business. So uh, more levies put on everybody. Now it's time to go out of business and a levy is put on people. So the, peop- the, the reason why ordinary God-fearing motorists' premiums are going up is also caused by the fact that Flash Harry's started companies uh, and lost money and went out of business because they never charged a premium that was realistic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's one element of it. But there's an awful lot of other stuff that's going on. Like, well, for instance, there's the lack of transparency in the, in, in, across the sector. An awful lot of uh, claims are settled outside the courts and outside the injuries board. So what happens is the car insurance companies will, 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 will make a judgment and they'll say, OK, if we, if we let this go to court, it'll cost us X, or if it goes to the in, in, injuries board, it'll cost Y. But if we settle it out of those two uh, streams, well, then we might be able to save ourselves a few bob. And more than two-thirds of all claims are settled without anybody having any knowledge but, of what's going on. Now, but, so, Connor, that must be cheaper than going into court. Why don't you tackle the problem of the, the fella and his wife or uh, partner? I saw pictures of them coming out of court. One crashed into the other and said, oh, well, I don't know her at all. Never saw her in my life before. But they'd rigged it. Then, a couple of weeks later, I see three more guys coming out of court who rigged another crash oh we, I, we didn't know any of these people yeah. and then we discovered they're all pals so what about that, that, fraud that, 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 that is fraud and fraud they reckon adds uh, you know it, it certainly adds around 50 euros or thereabouts onto every single car insurance policy uh, in the country now that like so that's one thing and then there's the issue of whiplash claims there's you know a marked difference between how much a whiplash cl- which whiplash claim is in ireland compared to how much it's worth in spain and in britain uh, but i think one of the key problems and you do talk it's the absence of transparency because the injuries board should be settling a much much higher percentage of claims than it is because it's only it's only uh, assessing around 20 percent right. of claims if it was assessing more of them there'd be no legal fees that's contributing okay. to the problem there'd be no fraud that's contributing to the problem there'd be, Why no you, there'd be, there'd be fraud of course there well, there'd be less fraud cars listen you know I, I hate young fellas like you coming on the radio because you're just the innocence like you're just sweet <laughs> innocence like when I was a lad and I had my car and you get a bang you go down to the garage and you say listen I need a new wing and the fellow would say are you paying for this or is it an insurance job yeah. and then if you were paying for it it was 300 if it was an insurance job it was 1000 yeah, well, so a, that's this, a big problem 
This has been going on since Adam was a lad. Yeah, but what we need to do is we need we need the government to do something about it for far too long. And I, this is I, I'll get off the soapbox now in a second, but for far too long the government has been kind of washing its hands with this issue and saying it's a, it's a, it's a, to do with commercial interests that has nothing to do with us. But they could introduce regulations that made policing more effective, that made the the, the faking of driver license driver's licenses more uh, more difficult, and made fraudulent driving or yeah. driving without insurance yeah. more difficult. Do you know what? we should do i think it'd be a great idea we should appoint a regulator like maybe the, the, the financial regulator is retired at the moment we could bring him back and make him the regulator of insurance or the regulator of charities like we could make him the regulator of insurance like regulation is a load of toss uh, Connor. bad regulation is a load of toss. Well, we don't do regulation in this but country that, but that's something that we could learn george the, just because the central bank had a fairly poor record when it came to regulating our banks in the 1990s Charity? the last part but just because let's, we, because they've had a bad record in the past doesn't mean that regulation is a bad thing. It just means that it has been done badly in the past. Okay, I, I want to know, I, I've had this ace up my oh sleeve, dear. right? Oh and you've just pushed every penny you possess <laughs> into the pot and I've slipped the ace into my hand and you're a dead man. Okay, go on. Why hasn't my premium gone up? Your premium hasn't now, gone up. No, don't tell me. No, no, don't play the celebrity card here, kid. No, I, w- I wouldn't dream of it. Uh, I don't think that's how insurance companies work. Yeah. Um, I guess you might be the exception that proves uh, the rule, George. Connor, Connor, that doesn't wash. There can't just be one fella in the whole of Ireland whose premium yeah, didn't go Yeah. Uh, you've actually you've asked me that before, and I didn't have the answer then, and I don't have the answer now. But what I can tell you is that all of the evidence, the empirical evidence, says that tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of motorist car insurance premiums have gone up by an average of 25 to 30 percent every year since 2014. And that is having a hugely negative impact on their pockets. Because if you say to somebody that you've got to pay 600 euros more a year in car insurance than you did in 2014, that means that you have to earn 1,200 euros after after tax. You just haven't explained it, that's all. Do you know what we should do, George? I'll look at your car insurance policy yeah. in detail. You see, your man, that the Irish scrum half who retired last week, you know your man Redden? Yeah. He looks after my insurance down in Limerick, and he, he's even better at insurance than he is at scrum house. Well, actually, it's his brother, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, and maybe, just maybe, what this shopping around thing, maybe your broker, like, maybe your broker actually does the shopping around for you. I've always used a broker. You know, like, I never, ever did car insurance insurance myself yeah i have to say to you one thing if you've got a broker you can trust they're worth their weight in gold yeah, i would genuinely say that but a lot of the time brokers are you they're just somebody earing up you can't trust them they're just okay. going through the motions but if you've got a broker you can trust hang on to him for dear life george yeah and particularly if he plays scrum half the, oh. the fellas who play scrum half are best win-win what can you do <laughs> thanks very much mind yourself the consumer affairs correspondent with the irish times kind of The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, uh, here we are. Now, I have to tell you, we were talking about insurance premiums before. There's a big protest tomorrow at Marion Square. Stay away, unless you're protesting. But Barry sent me all his quotes last year on car insurance and the average... 
is 25% increase, ranging from 70.5 to 60% increase. One direct were the best. I did the Louis Copeland competition, and apparently Louis has a place in CHQ. I didn't know where it was. And Cormac Mackay sent me a map. It's in the International Financial Services Centre. My thanks to all of you for that. Now, uh, it's a big rally tomorrow, Marion Square. It's a big rally today, Doll. Gardy and teachers protesting about the Lansdowne Road Agreement. My guest is News Talk's political editor and now, of course, the powerhouse between of our new breakfast schedule, Shane Coleman. Thank you, George. When do you lose the title political editor? Are you double-jobbing in the coming while, In yeah? the coming days, I <laughs> suspect. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, what's ha- why are the guards and nurses protesting? Teachers. Well, as of, teachers. as of midnight last night, we bade farewell to the Harrington Road Agreement and said hello to the Lansdowne Road Agreement. Now, the AGSI, the, the, the Association of, of Secondary School Teachers, the main secondary school teachers uh, union, uh, have. No, the AGSI is Guard of Sergeants and Inspectors. Sorry. You're, okay. you're absolutely anyway, the, unions, the ASTI is that's the what union, I meant to say the union for the cops and the teachers sorry the ASTI the te- main secondary yeah. school teachers union have not signed up to that nor as of yet have the GRA it looks like the AGSI which is the um, the, the, the union for Garda inspectors and sergeants it looks like they will sign up for it their, their union has recommended signing now, up for it the GRA is rank and file guys it is, is. It? so oh, we have right. two unions effectively rank and file Gardaí and second not all secondary school uh, teachers because some of them are members of the TUI they have and they traditionally were the more militant union they have signed up to Lansdowne so the ASTI I, I have mean, not so why are they protesting? They, they were given an agreement and now I got very excited yesterday but then as you know me and facts and these kind of things I don't like it to get in the way of a good story but the fact that our police are underpaid is a bit of a scandal but, but they also have decided to go into this dispute because they haven't signed the agreement they haven't and they they have uh, a number of of of, of grievances uh, george as do as do the secondary teachers i think it's more likely that the grievances of the gardi can be addressed we're seeing moves by the government today there is some behind the scenes uh, offers for example uh, an offer to restore 4000 euro worth of various allowances for new entrance gardi the the differential in pay for for new entrance guardy is is still a major bone of contention okay. for them there's also the issue of the extra hours that they they are supposed to work under this agreement uh, under this new agreement 30 extra hours a week the guardy basically have have set since last december have refused to work but, those extra okay, hours okay but hold on now. let's say you were a guard you know and you're walking up towards the home up towards home farm or whatever on the airport old airport road yeah. right and you happen to go into the regency for a cup of coffee and next minute you get blown away because you're an unarmed guard and you find yourself in attempting to stop a crime being committed mm. and you get blown away and guards have been killed in the line of duty of course and they're yeah. badly paid well i mean it depends what measure you use. Uh, certainly, by international standards, they are they are definitely not badly paid. Uh, if you look by European standards, they're not particularly they're not. bad. They're not actually particularly badly paid. Uh, whether or not you, I mean, firstly, 
I think the example you use, you can never compensate someone. You can never compensate someone for being shot, for example. No, but Uh, you are, like, I mean, you're unlikely to get shot if you're, I hope I'm not (laughs) inviting anybody here, but like if you're a drive time presenter, you're you're unlikely. Look, being a guard is is a very difficult job. That's not what these negotiations are about, though. The Gardaí are, there's a a number of things, 30 extra hours a week supervision, the differential uh, in pay. Ultimately, they want, the Gardaí want the, the kind of cutbacks that were introduced, the FEMPI legislation, this financial emergency legislation, they want that, that to be rolled back. They've actually said, you know, we want we want to go back to where we were in 2008. Now, leave aside whether or not you think Gardaí or, and teachers are underpaid or overpaid. The idea that you can just go back to 2008 misses a very fundamental point, which was public sector pay at that stage was funded by a bubble economy, by a property market that we know was a, was a bubble and we do not have those resources anymore. So there are diff- there are very tight resources uh, and that has to be factored into any equation. I mean, the 260 million euro a year pay rise was given to public servants under the Lansdowne uh, Road Agreement. So we're not talking about pittance here. Now, we also have to remember uh, and instinctively, everyone wants to see teachers and guardy paid more. That 260 million means there's going to be 260 million less in, in new public services. Now, the, can I talk about the, the, the ASTI for a moment, the secondary school uh, t- teachers' unions? I mean, you know the old adage about not opening up a war on more than one front and, and yeah. not certainly not two fronts. The, AGS, uh, the ASTI have wars on three fronts at the moment. I oh, mean, so. they, well, firstly, there's they, they have voted in favour of a ballot on industrial action in relation to the pay differential for new entrants. Now, it should be said, implicitly, all the unions agreed to that. They may not have actually sta- signed a form saying, look, we're happy for you to do this. But they all implicitly accepted it when, when it came in because it suited their purposes. It protected the pay of their existing members. That's one thing. Secondly, the ju- on the junior cert, on the junior cert uh, reforms, they are still opposed uh, to their junior cert reforms. Members are banned. They've basically said, do not cooperate with classroom-based assessments. Now, let's just remember, on the junior cert reforms, the government caved in completely on those. They gave them 98% of what they wanted. That still isn't enough for the ASTI. They are still opposing those. And then the issue of, of super, super um, supervision payments and substitution payments. An extra 33 hours a week was proposed under this agreement. Now, 33 hours a week. We're talking about one hour a week. And they have basically given a formal directive to teachers to cease working but at one hour. In- Three fronts. Now, oh. I'm sorry. You can you can certainly say, you know, you you have sympathy on one issue, one of those three issues, but all three of those issues, that looks to me that the ASTI have a problem. They're I mean, looking for a fight. Well, uh, there's it certainly looks to me. But like they might get a bloody for, nose. Well, uh, it's difficult to see on the junior cert, for example, how the government can can give uh, any any more the TUI which is, as I said, was generally a much more radical union or previously was a much more radical union or have been happy to sign up uh, to the Lansdowne uh, agreement. It's it's a strange one. I think to fight a war on three different fronts and there are question marks about the leadership that's been provided by by the ASTI at the moment and uh, whether or not the leadership 
uh, is overly radicalised and whether it actually okay. reflects the view of, of ordinary okay. teachers on the ground. Well, um, this is always the problem with unions. This has been a problem since time immemorial that sometimes the leadership is not necessarily in sync, sync with, the, with the members, right? But but then there's a, there is, very often there can be a herd mentality by the actual members who then follow, uh, you know, the Pied Piper over the cliff. Now, the, the, my only knowledge of the teachers' unions, and Asti in particular, is based on interviews given on television and radio. And they are radical. There's no question about mm. The leadership of Asti is radical. Yeah. The question is, where are they going and where are they bringing the members? Look, I, there is, and look, we, we shouldn't underplay this. There is a resentment and an anger among a lot of public service uh, workers <coughs> about the pay cuts that were brought in in 2007 when the country was on, on the verge of bankruptcy. And you heard on the news there one of the union leaders saying the crisis is over so let's get back to where we were. I don't know how that certainly isn't practical but it is understandable and they they feel particularly uh, and I, I think the point you make about the Gardaí about the difficult job they do and, and putting themselves in the line of fire are, are they paid okay. enough? If you look at if you look at international comparisons, like what? well, teachers, teachers and Gardaí. Teachers are, the world over, uh, people think they're paid too much. The world over. I, it's not, it's, I, I'm not saying teachers are paid too much. I'm saying all we can do is look at international Teachers don't have sympathy the world over. Well, in the English-speaking world, if you take my experience in Ireland, in England and in America... Uh, Michael Graham beyond a half five. Try talking to Michael Graham about teachers in America. I think teachers, by and large, have not a bad deal. There's no, you can't compare teachers and guards. I, the only problem I have, and explain it to me, because the guard raises it, the principle of working for free is fundamentally fallacious. So to ask somebody to work 30 hours for free is wrong. Well, uh, yes, it is. I mean, this was part of How the How would you react if they said, Shane, do 30 hours free? Well, 30 hours a year we're yeah, talking about, first matter. of all. Yeah, but hang on. It's not necessarily for free. This was a quid pro quo. This was about extra productivity in return for pay restoration, in return for, for pay growing up. I actually think part of the problem with this is the Labour Party made a big mistake last year in that they negotiate they wanted to renegotiate the Haddington Road agreement before the election because they wanted to try and woo back public uh, public servants right, ahead so of the election they did it a year early i think that was a major major mistake they they did the deal a year before they had to and now a year on people are saying it, it's a case of eating bread soon forgotten like we shouldn't forget and i'll I'll, I'll make the point again this deal involves a 260 million but pay there's increase another for public issue servants. now of course is that since last Thursday, the whole uh, landscape has changed. So well, in I three mean, years' time, they could be coming back with another, what do you call it, a FEMPTY or something? FEMPTY, FEMPTY, yeah, the finan could, financial emergency measures. They uh, could come back with another FEMPTY I mean, in see, three years' this time. Is, uh, and... This is the point, and I, you know, I'd say if you did a poll of your listenership now, I'd say 95% of people would say, uh, give the Guardian more pay. I would say a majority, perhaps a smaller majority for the reasons you outlined would say give the teachers more pay. The difficulty is, like, 
if they do that and if by the way the, the, the government don't take action against these two unions for not implementing the agreement and they are going to take action in the form of with, with, withholding the increments that they get if they don't do that there will be a knock on effect across all the other unions will be saying hang on we signed up for these tough measures and you're letting this crowd off the hook so they won't let them off the hook I, well there will be I think with the Gardaí there will be uh, with, there will be with the GRA a compromise will be hammered out and it'll be something in the, the order of oh, restored I think yeah. it, with, the, with the ASTI and you're talking about a war on three fronts and I mean the one I can't get my head over is, uh, around is the junior cert reforms yeah. they won that battle they won it yeah, 100% but, but the thing is where all this the DNA of all these disputes rests in benchmarking because essentially Bertie Ahern and the Fianna Fáil party government of that time were brought in a scheme called benchmarking which was nonsense and and they gave the belief to public servants that somehow there was an entitlement for wage increases into the great blue Benchmarking is you're talking 14 14 years ago at this stage we've had a the the economy's gone off a cliff in that time I'm not sure how, how relevant that still is. The, by the way, the Gardaí do have, they, they do have a very serious bone of contention. They were promised a pay, re- a guard, a pay review. They were promised by the last government. They were promised it would be done by 2014. It hasn't been done yet and that has caused irritation. To okay. Them. Uh, Shane Coleman, the powerhouse of uh, News Talk's new breakfast schedule uh, was there. We're going to uh, Gwyn Prince next. He's going to try and explain to me at any rate what the hell's going on in English politics. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, I was talking to my next guest last Friday uh, when the result, of course, of the Brexit referendum had been announced and... uh, it seemed halfway sensible at the time. I'm not sure if any of us, indeed anybody in Britain, uh, really realised what the ramifications might be. Um, but we now have a situation, uh, politically, for the first time, certainly in any memory of people still alive, uh, British politics is in a very strange place. To explain it all, uh, Professor Emeritus at the London School of Economics, Gwydion Prince. Gwydion, welcome to the programme. Good afternoon, George. Good afternoon, everyone. Explain it, please. Well, actually, George, it's much simpler than you think. Let me tell you that there's one thing that is now certain and one thing that's very likely. The thing that's certain is that the United Kingdom will be leaving the European Union, regardless of who the next prime minister is, because both the uh, leading candidate, no, let me rephrase that, the leading candidate, Theresa May, made very clear that Brexit is Brexit. She intends to set up a special department of government which will be run by a Brexiteer, she says. The second thing, which is becoming clearer, is the probability that the next British prime minister will be a woman, but it's not necessarily going to be Theresa May. Uh, Let me explain, because as everybody knows, we have been seeing this Shakespearean uh, tragedy going on in British politics in which everybody expected the competition to be between Boris Johnson and Theresa May. And then very suddenly, the person who had been the partner of 
Mr. Johnson, and who was going to be his campaign manager, Mr. Michael Gove, the Justice Secretary, announced that actually he could not recommend Mr. Boris Johnson as a reliable prime minister, and so he said he was going to stand himself. And he made an announcement this morning to that effect. But what is increasingly clear, George, is that MPs, many of whom have uh, at the moment flocked to the leading candidate, who is Mrs. May, many of the others appear to be moving not to Mr. Gove, but to the other leading figure of the Leave campaign, who is a woman called Andrea Leadsom. And so my guess, and it's only a guess, is that when the voting comes around next week, we could well find ourselves where the two final candidates who will be presented to the members of the Conservative Party to choose the next leader of the Conservative Party and the next Prime Minister will actually be two women. Now, are the Tories like Labour, where they, the grassroots has a vote? Yes, that's correct. The way that it works is that the members of the, uh, of the Conservative Party in, in Westminster, that is the MPs, have by a process of uh, elimination, round by round, to whittle it down to two names. And those two names are then presented to the 150,000 or so paid-up members of the Conservative Party, and they will choose between okay. those two names. And one of them is clearly going to be Mrs. May, because she's got 70 or so MPs. But as I'm just giving a little sort of indication here, I think that it's not certain that Mr. Gove, having just announced this morning that he was going reluctantly to stand himself, I, I think it's frankly unlikely that his candidature is going to prosper okay. because you can see the MPs moving to misled. All right. But across the aisle, um, where there there is no debate amongst the members of the MPs, Labour Party MPs, they want it done with Jeremy Corbyn. Yes. Corbyn is staying there because if they go to another election, all the uh, the workers in the fields will vote for him again. That's correct, because the previous leader of the Labour Party, Mr. Uh, Ed Miliband, um, in order to protect himself against his MPs, changed the rules so that the, the leader of the Labour Party, astonishingly, is not chosen and cannot be removed by the Parliamentary Labour Party. So they can huff and puff as much as they like, and they can have as many votes of no confidence as they like. But until the membership actually says, no, thank you, Mr. Corbyn, um, there he stays. And the person who suggested a couple of days ago she might challenge him, a lady called Angela Eagle, who's quite a solid traditional sort of left winger, immediately that she said that she was going to do it, her parliamentary constituency party said, actually, Mrs. Eagle, if you do that, we'd like you to resign. So she's now not put her name forward, and they're still pleading with Mr. Corbyn to go, but there's no sign that he's going to do All so. right, but there's no, there's, there's, there's no point in history that I can remember uh, where, this, where, where Britain had no leaders in either of its parties. And, I mean, Chamberlain would be a giant amongst this lot. Well, um, let's just remember where we are. We do have a government. Mr. Cameron is the Prime Minister at the moment. Uh, government is still continuing, uh, or astonishing as that may seem. Um, there will shortly be a new Prime Minister. 
because by the beginning of September, at the very latest, there will be a new leader of the Conservative Party and hence uh, a prime minister. And it's, as I've said, I think it's uh, increasingly going to be between one of these two ladies. But since I spoke to you on Friday... Uh, instead of saying my prayers at night before I go to bed, I drop to my knees and I say, Dearest God, please explain to me why Gwydhi and Prince wanted Britain to leave the EU. Because since I spoke to you on Friday, uh, we've seen mayhem in stock markets, currencies, banks threatening to go to Dublin and Frankfurt, airlines even saying they're going to leave. Um, the... the uh, uh, the chance is if Britain wants to stay in the single market, it, ha- it has to stay with a plank that, that it doesn't want, which is migration. So why does the most intelligent contributor to the right hook want Britain to leave? Well, firstly, George, with the deepest respect, which means I'm just about to say that you're talking through your hat, the description you've given is simply not what happened over the last weekend. What happened was that the markets miscalled the results. So they were burned pretty heavily. There's then been a correction. Sterling has fallen, which actually it needed to do. It's actually an unintended bonus because... For you, but not for me. Indeed, I know that. I'm talking about from my side of the (laughs) the Irish Sea. But I'm trying to explain to you why what happened over the weekend, and I don't fully understand quite why it was that the media and the uh, losers in the campaign chose to do this, is that a combination of the media and the Remain campaign uh, talked up chaos when actually there wasn't. Because if you actually look at what happened on the stock markets, you'll see that there was, of course, a reaction, as you would have expected, but that there was then a correction and things have settled down. The governor of the Bank of England, who um, I think rather unwisely played rather too uh, political a role uh, on the side of Remain during the campaign, has now reverted to his correct constitutional job, which is steadying the ship. And, and that's exactly what has but, happened. Uh, there's, uh, no, there's no change in the fundamental strength of the British economy. And it will, of course, prosper hugely once it is freed from the restrictions of the single market. How? Does it, like, uh, you tell me, but, but the percentage of British trade must be enormous with the single market. I mean, no, no, it, it isn't, is. actually. It well, like what? No, it isn't. I mean, we, in terms of exports, I think it's around about 6%. And in terms of total trade, it's dropped from, uh, I think it was slightly over 50 to so, now somewhere over 40. Percent, Greg? Come on now, trades, Most of our trade is either internal or it's with the rest of the world. All right. Now, explain to me, um, how do you see the whole Scottish thing? panning out. I mean, the Scots aren't going to roll over Gwydion. Um, they might have taken out a Culloden or Bannockburn or mm. somewhere. They're not going to take this one lightly, uh, being dragged kicking and screaming out of the EU. Well, how do I see this going? Um, firstly, let's look at the facts of the matter. The facts of the matter are that um, this is Sturgeon, who's been uh, trying to create a grudge, and I uh, don't blame her, given that she's a Scottish nationalist, went to Brussels to try and do so, and was told very firmly that nobody was going to talk to her formally because uh, Scotland voted only two years ago to remain part of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has just voted by a clear majority to leave the European Union, and so it will be to the United Kingdom that there will be conversations. And the person who said to the European community very firmly indeed, you must not talk to Mrs. Um, 
Sturgeon in any formal way, no great surprise here, was Mr. Rajoy, the leader of the Parti Popular in Spain. And you know the reason why, because he is terrified of the example that that would show to the Catalans if it seemed yes, that the Scottish exactly. could start having their own conversation. All right. Okay, you'll have to talk to me about Catalonia on a separate day, Gwydion. <laughs> Happy to. Happy uh, to. All right. Thank you so much for joining but me. The mm-hmm. most important thing is to keep calm and carry on. Says you. It's a bit more difficult for us over here with Sterling going gangbusters against the euro. Well, um, you know, that's life, uh, and isn't it exciting? Yeah. <laughs> All the best, George. All right. Talk to you soon. Soon, absolutely. Gwydion Prince there. Uh, he's uh, Professor Emeritus at the London School of Economics. See, the the, 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 the correction in sterling is great for him, but it's not so great for us because our exporters now, it's going to cost, cost them dear.